0: Support for Connecticut East this week comes from EastCon for high school completion, English language instruction and employment and job training services. Go to eastcon.org slash get started today. EastCon, you've got this. It's that time of the year when we think about maybe spring cleaning our homes. But for those with hoarding disorder, throwing things out is the last thing they want or are able to do. Plus we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott-Smith. It's the start of a new year, and it's around this time that we look at what we've accumulated over the past year or so and decide what needs to stay and what needs to go. But if you're one of the estimated 19 million people in the US with what is called hoarding disorder, throwing anything out is the last thing that you want to do. And what can start as a few items being piled up in the corner of a room can quickly escalate to a situation where rooms of a home can become uninhabitable to the point that they can result in serious safety and health concerns. I caught up with Beth Markowski-Roop of Service Master by Mason, who provides specialty cleaning services as well as assistance for those with the mental health condition of hoarding disorder. Beth as always thanks for coming on to the podcast
1: thank you for having me Brian excited to be here today
0: so beginning of the year you know we've all collected things got things over the holiday and Christmas period but we're going to be talking about a very serious issue today and some lighter parts of it but hoarding disorder talk to us about that
1: absolutely so one of the services and ends that we provide is working with our hoarding clients and we've gone through extensive training to do that hoarding is a recognized mental disorder it's really marked by an obsessive desire to kind of over acquire and accumulate just significant amount of possessions and items that usually have little to no value. And unfortunately, it will affect the everyday habits of, of their home life, whether they're able to cook and have a working kitchen, whether they're able to clean, whether they're able to entertain or even just move freely throughout their home. There's many different challenges with that and safety concerns. It really is marked by a, a traumatic life event such as grief, divorce, abuse, the lack of control, You know, every situation is unique, both in in kind of intensity and type, what they could be hoarding, how bad the situation is in the home. And one thing to always can to keep in mind as well is it is a compulsion. It's not an addiction. And the hoarding uh, hoarder, the hoarding client of ours is going through a wide range of emotions. So we have to be very sensitive to that. We have to be very cautious and careful about that. And at the same time, be very careful in their homes because there's a lot of health and safety concerns.
0: As we said, we've just been through the holiday and the Christmas period. And of course, we Mm -hmm. like to online shop. It's become a big big deal over the, you know, several years. But of course, you know, during the pandemic, we were sort of like shopping online even more. Talk to us a little bit about that, because I'm sure that didn't help the situation.
1: No, it certainly exasperated the situation and the states know it and they're really gearing up and they have many of the social service agencies gearing up as well in preparation. You have people who were trapped inside for two years with a with a mental disorder and they were doing nothing but ordering online, as were we all. They weren't getting face-to-face mental health services. They weren't having social services come by on a regular basis because of, of the shutdown and our, our need to uh, keep away from each other. Well, they weren't having friends or family come over that would kind of help keep that checks and balances. So unfortunately, someone who was a low grade hoarder, like a level one hoarder before the disorder, quickly spiraled out of control. And now coming out of this post-pandemic, they're usually now a level four or level five. And that's as bad as it gets.
0: I've got a so like a, a leaflet here, which you give out when you do some like luncheon mm-hmm. speaker series. And it's actually very striking that this poster in so much as it says that what's been created is a new generation of hoarders and, and municipalities are concerned about the tsunami of hoarders they are experiencing talk to us about that because that's some really strong powerful language
1: absolutely so you know again coming out of the pandemic there there are more hoarders and more level 4 and level 5 hoarders than there were going into the pandemic and that's a challenge it's a challenge for first responders who are not able to get into homes when they need to be on a call that get trapped inside homes. And I was at a, uh, a few conferences this past year that are both in the state of Connecticut and Rhode Island that had first responders. And one of the big hot topic items that they were all concerned with, again, was the hoarding disorder and going into those homes. It's a huge health and safety concern. There's a lot of social services and resources that are needed to help hoarding individuals and particularly mental health. And as we all know, there is a lack of that. So again, The states are very concerned, not only for blight concerns, it's also something that affects the real estate industry and property management because even having a hoarder neighbor can lower your home value, not just theirs. So, there's a it really has a horrible trickle down effect that the state is concerned with. Our realtors are concerned with it, property management individuals are concerned with it, our first responders are concerned with it, social service agencies are seeing more and more, and yet it's a mental disorder. And how are they equipped? do they have enough resources to be able to combat that and to work effectively and efficiently with their client? So there's a lot that goes into this as this as this type of disorder worsens.
0: Talk to us a little bit. I mean, I know that you have to be sensitive about the people that uh, clearly that, that you deal with. So we're not asking right. you to be so like you know specific, but you know just give us a, a sense of some of the stuff that you've come up against. So
1: I think the biggest thing that we come up against are are people who are hoarding the different profiles of hoarders. You know, someone who is an animal hoarder, for example, we've come up against someone um, who was hoarding cats. Cats tend to be the animal of choice and also rats, tame rats, you know, because they're uh, very smart and they'll come and give love and then they will go away and be very independent and self-sufficient. So you unfortunately, when you have someone who is hoarding animals, we we get what's called the circle of life. You know, there's other critters that will find their way into a home because that's a food source and other critters that will find their way after them. And then there's insects and other you know concerns as well. And I think some of the animal hoarding situations are, are those that are extremely challenging. Because again, this is someone with the best of intention, and yet it is spiraled out of control. And at this point, you could have animal rescue involved. We've worked with several of our hoarding clients that were animal hoarders, and we worked with ASPCA or the Humane Society to be able to trap as many of the animals as possible. And we had one home that we did years ago, and we were able to, uh, to get out, I think, about 40 to 50 live animals. And unfortunately, we took out about double of that in in perished ones, in dead ones that were in the home, including one hoarder had them stacked inside her freezer. So again, we see just these horrible things and it really is just the disorder and you have to recognize it as that, you know, our rule of thumb working with hoarding clients is compassion, always no judgment, because in many cases, their trigger is grief and grief is ugly and messy and they're just putting it out there on display. And how do you judge someone for how they handle grief? So, you know, again, depending on their hoarding profile, the homes can be very challenging, and it can be a very challenging situation to, uh, to work with those clients. We've had, you know, information hoarders where the home is stacked with newspapers from top to bottom, and you'll say, why are you, why can't we help you recycle these? And of course, it's the excuse of, well, you know, every Thursday in the paper, there's these wonderful recipes, and I can't get rid of them until I make those recipes or have the time to cut them out. Is this individual ever going to take the time to cut them out? No. Are they going to make these recipes? No. It's just a continued excuse to keep feeding their disorder. So again, we have to combat it in different ways because the end goal is always to make their home a safe space.
0: Just going back to when you mentioned about the animals, that wasn't even mm-hmm. anything that came across my mind. And then you, right. know, you you mentioned it and you forget that. Yeah, of course, you. I mean, you can hoard literally anything. But yeah, I mean, the animals and as you say, I'm sure it's done with the best of intentions. But then, like you said, as you've seen in so many cases where sadly animals then get actually instead of being cared for, they're not being cared for. And and like you said, ultimately perish. I mean, it's a, a, a terrible situation, isn't it?
1: It's a horrible situation to see that. You know, I think one of the most challenging situations that that we see as well is when they are collecting baby items and they will have just all types of, of items from children from and kind of those memory keepers. So they'll have all of their kids' clothes and all of the little mementos and, you know, when we were five and traced our hand and made a turkey out of it for Thanksgiving and all of the old ashtrays and all of these items that were their their child's. And those are usually some of the most challenging clients to work with because usually their trigger was the loss of that child. So they've cocooned themselves with all of this stuff around them, saying, "If I have all of this around me, nothing will hurt me again." And the moment that you start taking away those items, out the grief that they've never dealt with. They've, this is someone who has never gone through the five stages of grief. You know, every single day of their life, they're living it as though it is the very first day of hearing the the first news of the loss of that child. So again, we we go into some very challenging situations and you just simply wouldn't think that these situations are out there, but it's affecting tens of millions of Americans and more and more in our
0: state. May sound a bit of a daft question, but I mean, when you're dealing with these individuals, are they cognizant of what they're doing? I mean, do they accept that they are hoarding or not?
1: So that is an excellent question. So it really depends upon the level and stage that they are at. So someone that's a level one, for example, so their house is pretty normal looking, you know, there's a few piles here and there, but it's more the habits that are the problem. And in their mind, there's minor anxiety and they plan on correcting everything. They know things are getting out of control. They know that it's getting a little messy. They know that it's getting problematic to start moving from room to room as effectively that they would. But when they hit a level uh, five, A stage five. Five is as bad as it gets. And the house is now completely full. It's no longer safe. In many cases, they could be living outside in their car, in a shed, in a tent. The house could be literally bursting at the seams and deemed unsafe that you cannot go in by the town. And yet, they're not going to leave their hoard. So they're going to stay outside and sneak back inside as as much as possible. But in their mind, their entire day revolves around just menial tasks, like trying to get food, trying to uh, find one item in the home that usually relates to what their trigger was usually at this point they're in often in complete isolation from the world with the exception of social services you know they're not really following just you know kind of day-to-day societal rules including not paying bills on time not bathing because they don't have a working bathroom the bathroom is full um so there's always a lot of challenges d- depending on what stage they are in if someone that is a stage one or stage two even a stage three they're usually open to getting the help that they need they know that they're spiraling and they do actually want to get some help to feel more grounded um, and to combat it. Someone that has hit a level four, level five, stage four, stage five, it's very difficult to convince them to get the mental help that they need. How
0: many resources are there around for things like this? Because, you know, let's just take a step back for a second. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we've all seen these programs on television. They've had things like this before on television. Sure. And we all sit there at home and we laugh and go, oh, my gosh, you know, I'd never get like that and all this sort of thing. And, and, and it, it, it's like it troubles me that maybe we don't take this as seriously as we should?
1: Sure. So I've actually been on site for several of those episodes that were, were filmed here in New England. Um, Matt Paxton from the TV show Hoarders, who is an absolute expert in the industry, had a partnership with Surface Master for many, many years. So I've been on site for many episodes that were filmed in New England. And I can tell you, as bad as they are on TV, they're much worse in person. You're not getting a sense of the smell and you know, on TV. You're not getting a sense of even some of the other sensitive items or, or more concerning items that are in the piles. They try to be a little respectful on TV as well. So, so you're right. So it is a challenge when you see it on TV versus, you know, kind of in, 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 real life, there are resources that are out there, as we all know, you know, when it comes to mental health, there just simply aren't enough, but there are resources out there and a great resource and place to start is again, Getting the loved one, your hoarding loved one, the mental health that they need. You can always go right on webmd.com and it's kind of backslash mental health. And you can look up a mental health professional in your area that works with hoarding clients. Also in Connecticut, the Institute of Living in Hartford is a great resource as well. You can go to instituteofliving.org. One of the fastest growing groups of buckets of hoarders right now are millennials and Gen Z. And they have adapted hoarding horrible, horrible hoarding habits that unfortunately we've passed to them and we don't even realize that we've passed it to them and they don't even realize that they have those habits. I've gone into several colleges and and talked to the students there and when I tell them that their everyday habits mean that they're a hoarder, they're shocked. So childmind.org is a great site for child hoarders and there's other resources too. Uh, We can also refer our clients to different professional organizers in Connecticut and beyond that specialize working with hoarding clients places where they can sell items or auction items to at least recoup some funds places that can uh, accept and and take any donated items so we provide a lot of resources for uh, for our hoarding clients out there but the biggest thing that we suggest and recommend is that they get the mental health that they need
0: it's interesting again you've just mentioned about the younger generations and once again i suppose because mm-hmm. of this perception that we think that we have or we do have we think that you know hoarders are generally older but of course it it, it affects all age groups is, is what I'm hearing.
1: It affects all age groups. You know, you have people who went through the Great Depression and and, you know, they had to trade things. You know, they had little money and items had value. So they would hoard, you know, newspaper, twine, candles, mason jars, food, you know, any money that they had. And they passed a lot of those habits down to their kids. And then you have baby boomers. And right now you have 20,000 people in the U.S. turning 60 to 65 every single day in this country for the next 20 years. And in many cases, they're downsizing for the first time or even the last time. And every item in your home has a memory attached to it. So unfortunately, what uh, our baby boomers are doing is they are saying, well, of course, all of my kids and grandkids and nieces and nephews are going to want all of these items in my house. How do I get rid of them? And they're putting them into storage. And that is why you see storage facilities popping up in the US left and right, you know, kind of like a Dunkin and Starbucks. And, you know, we have just come to a step that we'll just put it in storage and let the generation behind in the family deal with it. And again, we're passing on those hoarding habits to them, you know. When we were young, our parents, our grandparents, we purged every spring and every fall. You know, you did that spring cleaning, fall cleaning, you went through closets, you made donations, you had a big tag sale, and you got rid of things every single year. Well, we just don't have the time to do that anymore. And if we do a tag sale, it's once every some odd years. So unfortunately, our kids, our grandkids have never really grown up with the understanding that once a year, we need to purge, that they need to purge. So they're just hoarding all of their items. And when we would hoard, you know, baseball cards as a kid, they're hoarding larger items today, like electronics, like video games, you know, and, and of course, if something breaks, they're keeping the parts to be able to fix something behind it. So unfortunately, they're just not in the habit of things coming in and things going out every single year. So again, we are causing that generation to become hoarders and we don't even know it.
0: It's interesting you mentioned uh, about the, the storage facilities as well. And mm-hmm. obviously, we're not knocking, obviously, the storage industry being- because you know they do a very good job as well for yes, for the things that they do, but it is interesting that they, like you said, they are popping up. I mean, I live in southeastern Connecticut, and I've seen at least two new facilities open up fairly recently. Right. And price-wise, they're relatively you know inexpensive. Things have gone up, but yeah, it is it is very easy, isn't it? It uh, you know to to find that facility and then, like you said, basically take it out of the house, put it there, and then it's it's like you're forgetting it, but it's still there.
1: It's still there. And what is recommended is, is that when you're in that situation and you are looking to downsize that you have the the family over and the friends over and you give everybody three boxes or three big bags and say, fill up everything that you would want. You know, are there items in my home that you would want to keep and have for your family and the next generation moving forward? And anything that's left, that is what you know that you can discard that you can recycle, that you can donate and give away. Those are not items that your family's going to take. You know, expecting them to be able to go through everything and they're, they're simply not going to keep it. It's just going to stay in storage.
0: Absolutely. And of course, it's not just individuals. I mean, like, you know, businesses and things, I mean, can sort of like mm-hmm. turn into hoarders as well.
1: Absolutely. So again, there's a lot of challenges, you know, and I think we've we've all gone through in the past few years, even uh, more time working at home, So, you know, we have um, moved our offices, you know, from a, a larger space, you know, in a, in a workspace, you know, to our home. And, and sometimes it's more of a confined area that's, you know, stacked high, you know, with folders and items and all of our work things. So again, it's very easy to start, you know, cluttering and leading down even a darker path than that, you know, at your home.
0: Yeah. And we should sort like, I suppose, make the differentiator here. There is a difference between cluttering and hoarding, isn't there? There
1: is. There absolutely is. Yeah. When hoarding, it's never, it's never about the stuff, you know, it's it's about what the stuff represents. And usually it is creating a sense of, of false happiness to take them away from what their trigger was. You know, cluttering, unfortunately, we all have some clutter in our lives and we just simply aren't discarding and going through things often enough to be able to get rid of that clutter. And as we all know, you know, the clutter leads to more stress. So, and the hoarding leads to a lot of stress. So, you know, it's even good when you have a lot of clutter in your life to be able to get rid of those items. It's just excessive items that you've just, you know, put around and unfortunately have not gotten around to, to getting rid of yet with all that best intent or simply have just not gotten organized as you can, but hoarding is completely different. So in hoarding, unfortunately you've passed the declutter stage and it really is, you're keeping those things around you to provide a cocoon.
0: And like you said i mean it represents so many hazards hazards to your health i mean potential fire hazards or, or so many things that you know one doesn't really even want to like think about but yeah it is a very important issue beth it's been great talking to you and uh, you know we could talk obviously for hours about this and just give us a, a quick few finals so like a contact points maybe for yourself or whatever if people are out there if it's a family and they have a family member that has hoarding disorder just give us some details that people can take away that they can maybe contact you or other organizations again as well.
1: I would be happy to. So we are always happy to be a resource. And again, we have many of those resources uh, where they can find mental health, find professional organizers and much, much more, even on our website, which is servicemasterbymason.com. They can always contact us for 860-455-1249 in Connecticut or 401-322-3030 in Rhode Island. And again, we are happy to be a resource. And again, we do recommend that they go on to webmd.com, Institute of Living, Dot com or even childmind.org to be able to connect for some mental services needed for their loved ones. We know that it's challenging. Compassion always, no judgment. You will get through it.
0: Well, Beth Monkowski, root Marketing Director for Service Master by Mason, has said, it's always great to talk to you and an absolutely fascinating but terribly important subject. And uh, obviously, we're very lucky that organizations and people like yourself are trained to help people out there because at the end of the day, nobody wants to feel alone. And uh, we need to know that those services are out there, but most importantly, that people do take it seriously. So thank you ever so much, as I say, for taking us on that journey and explaining to us a little bit more about hoarding disorder. Thank you, Brian. And if you have hoarding disorder or know someone who does and want to offer them help and assistance, then go to servicemasterbymason.com and select specialty services in the website menu and scroll down to hoarder and estate cleanup for full contact details. Connecticut East this week is made possible by... EastCon. Know someone who wants to learn English? Enroll today in one of EastCon's free English language learner programs offered virtually and in person. Learn English to get a better job, to access training or college, to help your children with school or to prepare for U.S. citizenship. Succeed from registration to graduation with flexible classes that suit your busy lifestyle. Visit eastcon.org slash get started today and take your first step towards a brighter future. Eastcon, you've got this.
1: Uh-oh, Brad's buzzed. Oh yeah? Yeah, he's starting with the woots. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and now a speech. I just wanna say that friendship is about heart. Heart and brain. Who's with me? Good thing is, he knows when he's buzzed. And my brain is saying, when it's time to go home, somebody call me a ride.
1: Love that guy. Me too. Know your buzzed warning signs? Call for a ride when it's time to go home. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message from Nitsa and the Ad Council.
0: Time now for a look at other stories making the headlines this week. 2024 has brought a range of new laws into play in Connecticut, and one of the most significant is an increase in the state's minimum wage. As of January 1st, Connecticut's minimum wage increased from the current rate of $15 per hour to $15.69 per hour as a result of the state's first-ever economic indicator adjustment. The newly enacted adjustment is required under a state law governor, Lamont, signed in 2019, which implemented five incremental increases in the minimum wage between 2019 and 2023, followed by future adjustments that are tied to the percentage change in the Federal Employment Cost Index. Beginning on January 1st, 2024, and occurring annually each January, the state's minimum wage will be adjusted according to the U.S. Department of Labor's calculation of the Employment Cost Index for the 12-month period ending on June 30th of the preceding year. The law requires the Commission of the Connecticut Department of Labor to review the percentage change and then announce any adjustments by October 15th of each year, with the new minimum wage adjustments becoming effective on the next January. Connecticut Labor Commissioner Dante Bartolomeo reported that the employment cost index increased by 4.6% over the 12-month period ending on June 30th, 2023, accounting for a 69-cent increase to the state's minimum wage for this year. Congressman Joe Courtney unveiled a new $2 million Gap Foundation financing program for Connecticut homeowners recently, whose property has been affected by a crumbling foundation from affected concrete when their property was built. Courtney said the new funding helps cover families for additional costs beyond the foundation repair of their home. When homes are being fixed,
1: it's not just a question of the foundations being replaced, but it's frankly all the pertinent fixtures and landscaping and uh, driveways and steps porches, etc. Living expenses while the the process is going on that homeowners also incur. And again, the state, despite its really valiant efforts to provide a, a solution here, does not cover that part of the
0: process. The majority of the properties are in the northeast of the state and had concrete supplied from the former J.J. Mott's Concrete Company in Stafford Springs between 1982 to 2015 that was found to be contaminated with pyrotite, a mineral that causes concrete to deteriorate and crumble. Home in Coventry was affected by a crumbling foundation, and despite not being eligible for the new funding, said they know it will help many other families in the future.
1: All said and done, you know, as a homeowner, our out-of-pocket expenses were well over twenty thousand dollars. It's the yard, it's the walkway, it's the driveway repairs, it's your living expenses. It's just everything that you know the program doesn't cover. While the program covers an enormous amount, you have to take out a loan to get through these expenses and that's what we did.
0: The new GAP funding provides reimbursement up to a maximum of $32,000 and is available to families on low to moderate incomes only. Foundation repair costs are covered separately by the state's captive insurer, the Connecticut Foundation's Solutions Indemnity Company, up to a maximum of $155,000. A new report finds large diversity gaps between Connecticut students and their teachers. Edwin J. Vieira from the Connecticut News Service takes a closer look. The diversity gap update finds there are more students of color than teachers of color in Connecticut schools, a trend that's only
1: grown over time. And yet, studies show students do better when they learn from people they look like. Amy Dowell with the group Education Reform Now Connecticut says student diversity has also grown over the last
0: decade, but she says other factors are at work.
1: We also see that there are challenges in the workforce pipeline of educators just generally. Who is becoming a teacher here in Connecticut? Who is staying a teacher here in Connecticut? The state is aware of the issue and is working to boost teacher diversity. In 2016, Connecticut set a five-year goal of hiring 1,000 teachers of color, which it exceeded hiring 1,900 by 2021. Governor Ned Lamont and Connecticut's Department of Education have taken steps to keep this growth going. This includes increasing certification pathways, assisting Districts with hiring and retaining a diverse
0: workforce and supporting candidates to attract more educators to Connecticut. I'm Edwin J. Vieira. In the day this week, Norwich Mayor Peter Nystrom highlighted major public and private developments fueled by millions of dollars in state and federal grants during his annual State of the City Address recently, but also urged city, school and utility officials to curb spending in the coming budget years. Nystrom noted that, other than the recent referendum defeat of a proposed new police station, city voters have approved major city, school and utility projects in recent years. This included the overwhelming approval of a $385 million Dollar school construction project a year ago, and several road improvement bonds and natural gas expansion projects for Norwich Public Utilities (NPU). Broke ground in November on a five-year, 200 million dollar new sewage treatment plant that is expected to greatly improve water quality in Norwich Harbor and the Thames River. Just as new owners of the marina at American Wharf are making major improvements to that centerpiece on the waterfront, Nyström, who's a Republican, will have to work with a Democratic majority City Council in his final or two years as mayor. In his address, Nystrom cautioned the city council, school and utility officials that taxpayers and ratepayers must pay for the approved projects over the next decade and they cannot be expected to bear other increased tax and rate burdens. Teams from six Connecticut communities have been chosen for the inaugural class of Connecticut Main Street Center's new Main Street Accelerator Program. The initiative is an action oriented leadership development program focused on helping communities better their downtown by implementing a specific project or addressing a challenge. During the virtual six-month Accelerator Program, participants will learn and practice the nationally proven four-point Main Street approach, sustainable and inclusive development practice, project management, and community engagement. The teams and their projects represent a diverse array of Connecticut towns and cities, and in eastern Connecticut, the town of Haddam's Municipal Economic Development Commissioners, the town's select woman, and local business owners will work together to improve signage, mapping, and the overall visual appeal between the town's two village centres. And Norwich Community Development Corporation's planners and local development organisations will collaborate on how to change the perception, of downtown Norwich by enticing tourists through cooperative marketing and events with local groups. And if you're looking for one of the most beautiful botanical gardens in the United States, you don't have to travel far, in fact just to New London County, as Harkness Memorial State Park in the town of Waterford made a recent list of the country's most stunning botanical gardens. Pergola Kits USA analyzed the number of TripAdvisor reviews that contain positive descriptors such as stunning, beautiful, breathtaking and gorgeous across 260 botanical gardens in the U.S. Each botanical garden was ranked based on the percentage of reviews containing these keywords, and Harkness Memorial State Park came in fourth, with 76% of TripAdvisor reviews referencing the botanical garden. <music>